0: you're listening to the autism weekly podcast each week we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness acceptance equity access and inclusion if you haven't already subscribe to join the autism weekly family i'm your host jeff Skabitsky. this week we're joined by angelica gilmore a bcba at abs kids from southern california with a fascinating journey She holds a BA in anthropology from CSU Channel Islands and a master's degree in ABA from National University. With nearly five years of experience in the field and two years as a BCA, Angelica is passionate about making a positive impact in the world, particularly within the autistic community. Her dedication and love for this cause have led her to embark on incredible and volunteer work with the Global Autism Project in India, specifically in Delhi and Chandigarh. Today, we'll delve into her inspiring journey, her experiences working with autistic individuals internationally, and the valuable insights she's gained from her work. Angelica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and be sharing my experience with you guys.
0: I'm excited to hear this experience because, quite frankly, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous. I wish that I had gone um, and done this same trip that you did because. The amount of information that you're able to learn by seeing others experience and just kind of being able to see their perspective of autism, I think just broadens our treatment abilities. But before we get there, can you just give us a little bit of a background of what inspired you to even think about going abroad and going on this adventure and putting yourself in kind of a, a a vulnerable position of going someplace you've never been before having to learn and educate on autism while trying to immerse yourself in a culture.
1: Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I have a background in anthropology, um, which I studied uh, at Channel Islands. And so with that, I've always been really interested in just learning about new cultures. I also have a minor in Spanish. So again, just like learning a lot about new cultures. And um after I graduated and I uh, joined the field of ABA, I instantly started thinking about how can I like how do these two fields intersect? How do they overlap? Um, how do I bring in my my expertise of like cultural understanding into like the field of ABA? And um, then we ended up talking about the Global Autism Project and. Uh, Instantly, I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. I felt like it brought together those two fields. um, And so I started looking into it and I got really interested and I applied uh, almost right after. um, And then I let my limiting beliefs um, get the best of me and I ended up not going on the trip the first time I applied and got accepted. Um, And then over the next year, I kept thinking about it. And so I figured, well, if I've been thinking about this for over a year now, I need to just do it. And so I applied again. Luckily, I was accepted again. And ultimately, I just told myself that this time I'm just going to do it no matter what. And so I did. And that's kind of what what led me there.
0: So a sneak peek to the end of the episode. I'm guessing it was a great experience.
1: Yes, yes, it was a really great experience personally and just a uh, professionally overall wonderful experience.
0: Now, before we get into kind of the autistic experience in some other countries and just kind of how they're working through the idea of acceptance, the idea of inclusion, the idea of empowerment. Um, I want to hear a little bit about your experience of going into a culture is that I guarantee your minor in Spanish wasn't necessarily helpful going to India, is that you were in this place that you were trying to be able to have to step out of your shell to understand the culture to be able able to help support the education that was going in. So what did that feel like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, so this was my first international trip. And um, I had never traveled to any other country before. So definitely, I think that I was in a much better place now to go on this trip after having grown so much over the last year in um, in my own like mindset, in my own ways, my own personal ways. Um, so going into this culture that I really knew nothing about, I had a lot of fear of um of just the unknown fear of um, the language barrier, uh, which I actually found out a lot of people there spoke English. So we were able to communicate pretty well, which I was surprised with. Um, But also I had just fears about traveling um, just for safety. Safety is a really big concern for me. And so going on this trip with no one that I really knew in my personal life um, was very out of my comfort zone. And um during our orientation, we actually do a we did a um activity where we rated what was in our comfort zone, what was out of our comfort zone. And some of the things I rated as in my comfort zone, I found out were out of my comfort <laughs> zone and vice versa. So um definitely um I felt much more prepared going now than I would have a year ago. So I think the timing really just worked out. And I think that also reflects why I was able to make the decision to go this time around versus last time. But um, yeah, just being in a different country, the, the culture, I had a lot of fears, but ultimately none of those fears were really met with anything um, in the country. And I was able to really enjoy the experience.
0: Yeah. And you and I had the chance to talk about this just briefly. But um, one of the biggest things that I think a lot of people and I went through the same experience when I went overseas to to help out in a a different field of work. But it was the self-awareness, the ability to kind of step back and realize that, hold on, I'm. My perspective is not necessarily always the right one. And I need to be able to really look at the whole picture of how culture affects decision making and priorities and goals and ambitions. Um, and then the other thing is, is in, and maybe you can give me a little insight on India, but when I was in uh, Mali, which is in West Africa, and this is 25 years ago, is that there was no real mental health treatment that was going on for the autistic community in general at that point. So when you're looking at the behavioral health needs is they kind of let the the autistic individuals who were pretty profoundly impacted just kind of go about their life and, and, and maybe gave some supports, but the families weren't equipped and oftentimes they didn't know how to deal with it. And, and it was something where these were individuals who couldn't take care of themselves and the community didn't know how to help support them either, to be able to give them some skills to be able to feel empowered. What is the What was the experience in India compared to what you're seeing within the U.S. for care for the autistic community, especially those that are pretty severely impacted?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely, um, there's definitely some big differences. I, I think from what I was able to observe, there is um, significantly less resources, especially when it comes to adults, um, which is something we kind of see here as well. There tends to be more resources for children, and then those kind of resources um become smaller as as you get older. Um, but I, I think they have really great ideas. And some of the um things that they are doing, although they're not widespread yet, they're they're very, very um significant. So one of the places we visited was the Shira Foundation. And this place just absolutely blew my mind because they are doing they are housing um, individuals uh, with autism. They're also employing them. And at the same time, they're teaching them all these skills that they need to get to maintain employment outside of the Shira Foundation and how to um, how to uh, build these independent living skills outside of the Shira Foundation. So I thought that was just incredibly significant that they're kind of covering all the bases in one place which is something that i personally have not seen here in the united states um however like i said this is one one foundation this is not something that is very widespread so there definitely is a lack of resources Um, in India when it comes to um, supporting the the neurodiverse population and that's something that uh, when I had the the opportunity to speak with parents of um, children with uh, special needs that was one of their biggest concerns was when we're not here then what happens like right now we're supporting them but there isn't just group homes or even um, or even like a lot of those um, resources to teach them how to live independently or how to maintain employment. So um, definitely there there is less resources, it seems, there. But the things they are doing are incredible.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I love the fact that one of the experiences you walked away with was that idea that there are places that are doing things differently. There are places that have been able to figure out models of care that are not what we're doing necessarily well in the US that we can learn from, that we can experience. And I think that's part of the Global Autism Project. It's not just going into a community and educating. It's also learning quite a bit from these communities on how to be able to make our care model even better. What what was some of the impact that you saw from Um, Maybe some of the community aspects, because oftentimes when people are under resourced, they rely on each other to be able to kind of help create that whole stakeholder environment to say, well, we don't have anybody we can lean on. We have to do this together. Did you see that at all with the with the schools, with the community programs where, you know, they were they were really kind of trying to bring people together a little bit more than what we're used to?
1: Yes. So I'm I'm really glad that we're able to touch on this because that was kind of the so we talked a little bit about how the Global Autism Project, they used to mostly go to India and work at a school called Sorum and really teach, you know, a lot of the the clinical things that we would that we do in ABA. However, their model just changed. And so I was actually part of the first trip where their, their new model is really focused on community outreach and educating, um, not only educating, but collaborating with, um, different like business owners, NGOs, parents, um, different schools, foundations, and employers. And so, um, what I saw was, was incredible because we actually got to be that, um, We got to be that like middle piece that really helped bring together these different organizations and really connect them. And I was personally part of one of the conversations where um, we got to make a connection between uh, the Shira Foundation and um, this other company called Start. And so the Shira Foundation has a program where they actually train people. neurotypical individuals um, how to work with uh, the neurodiverse population and then they help those people get employed at um just various different places um in the community and then once they're employed then they try to get the autistic individuals employed at the same places so now they have someone on in their their job who understands how to work with them and who understands them and can make that transition a little bit easier for them um so we were able to connect them with this company called start and start is a um a company that was started by an individual named Puneet. he grew up in the slums and he has some learning disabilities and he was able to um he was able to, to come out of living in the slums and to um, start his own business where he helps other individuals get out of living in the slums and um, and also including like individuals with um, uh, learning differences as well. And so we were able to connect them where we're like, oh, hey, well, you're helping these people get out of the slums. We can have them get hired through the Shira Foundation and they can help them get jobs to work with uh, individuals with autism. So it was really, really just unique to see that connection happen in front of my eyes. And it's like, wow, this is something that can potentially grow into something so much bigger. And like throughout the trip, I feel like so many of those little connections were happening and we were able to really be um, part of that, like bringing together these different resources so that they can really like pool together and and just have an even bigger impact because like I said there's so many people doing so many great things but obviously better together like you can do more together so that was that was a great um experience
0: it makes you think about you know how small a world is even within a community is oftentimes is that those resources are a step out of reach and it's just having the knowledge to know that somebody else has already worked on the problem or worked on the the challenge that that you're currently trying to be able to solve and it could be your next-door neighbor at times which is it seems like in this case it's like well how do we get this dialog going to build larger and more inclusive programs one of the things that you just hit on which i i love the fact that you walked away from an experience with is the ability for inclusion in the neurodiverse community to be almost more of a priority in some of these other countries that are developing care models? So the employment network, we have the autism employment network that probably would could benefit from doing some collaboration and learning on some of these steps of how do you really train? an employee class to be inclusive of all people and to be able to understand the neurodiverse needs to be able to empower them in that environment. What are some of the other things? Because you you hit on it earlier as the idea of this, and I think the Global Autism Project coins it as sustainable training. How does that come into play when you're looking at the impact of of the Global Autism Project and going into other countries and helping to serve them, but also what they're bringing back to the U.S. in the form of volunteers who have returned who could now educate their own organizations on what they've learned? So what does sustainable training look like for you?
1: So the the Global Autism Project, their motto is do with, not for, and that was just a continuous theme throughout the trip. And what they mean by that is um, we are collaborating and working with uh, the autistic population and with those international partners. Rather than coming in with the preset belief that we know we're ahead, we're more advanced, we're just going to train you on what to do. But as you mentioned, like um, the do with not for is more sustainable because we are um, working with the the international partners to make those connections for themselves so that way they can continue to work with other people and continue to um create new programs and and make changes whether the global autism project is there or not um so that i think is the the big part of their their sustainable um training and change and then on the other hand like bringing that back to to the organizations and just the places that we work here in the United States um, is is through being able to share the ideas and um, share the takeaways from the trip and Um, start implementing those things into our our daily routines, start having those conversations. Um, So it's kind of like the ripple effect. You know, everyone who's traveling is then coming back and having these conversations and um, um, changing the way they work with the the neurodiverse population uh, little by little. And all those little changes, they do add up. And uh, and also bringing home that mentality of do with, not for, I think is also something that is um, is going to help make some sustainable change. Because now I feel like, at least for myself personally, I am much more focused on being a listener, on um, working alongside the neurodiverse population, um, and just coming at... Um, treatment in a much different way rather than just I have the answers I have the solutions let's let's make these changes um, I just feel like the do with not for motto motto is just so impactful um, overseas and here at home as well.
0: But well, let's let's have one of these conversations so let's talk about the do with and what you're bringing back with you, um, one of the biggest pieces that I think that we all need to improve on is not living in our silos, is being able to kind of say, okay, how, how do you create this collaborative model of care where you're bringing in every stakeholder, where you're giving a voice to every single person who's experiencing um, not only the day-to-day life, but also the treatment, the, um, the byproducts of what's occurring on the outside, who, who are invested in empowering any individual. So what would your recommendation be of you just went through this experience, you're taking this back. How do you de-silo <laughs> the care models that we're now working with to create this collaboration? How do, where do we start?
1: So I, th- I think it's definitely easier with individuals that can vocally, verbally um, tell you what they need, what they want. I think that it is a little more challenging with individuals that do not have that form of communication and cannot cannot express um, in detail like what they need and want. So I think a big part of that is learning to not only listen to to the individuals that can, like, verbally, vocally tell us what they they need and want, but also really listening to those, um, like, non-speaking individuals as well, whether it's through their actions, their body language, um, just any other, like, non-verbal communication, and um, just really trying to make Make ABA an experience that is a resource and a tool for them, something that is going to be very helpful rather than harmful. Um, So I think that's the big question: is like asking whenever you're making any changes in a program or or creating a new goal, just having that question in your mind: like is this helpful or harmful? Um, Is we talked a lot about um, masking on the trip, and for anyone who doesn't know what masking is, it's basically um neuro neurodiverse uh, individuals um um trying to hide their their autistic traits or whatever traits they have of um that are um associated with their diagnoses to appear more neurotypical um so so looking at at goals that I'm I'm creating and implementing for individuals and asking like is this just helping them mask, or is this actually helping them grow the skills they need to help them thrive in their future and in their current their current day-to-day life? Um, I think that was a very big takeaway. Um, we talk a lot in ABA about um, like socially significant um, uh, goals and behaviors. And so I think for me, personally, just really asking that question, during every decision and treatment is this helpful or harmful is this am i listening to this individual and what they need Um, and really just trying to shape and create um, programs based on that and then also just making sessions and i know this is something we already we already strive to do but i feel like after returning from this trip i have even more motivation to do this but just making sessions so much fun making you know making sure clients are so engaged making sure that they are consenting to this and they're wanting to to play and using net in a way that's going to just really help them learn um and just just making it an enjoyable experience like i said making aba a resource and tool for them
0: yeah and you i think you phrased everything so well and when you talked about social validity the big question that immediately pops in my head, which I think has a clear answer is, well, who's defining it? Who's defining social validity? And I think that you walked away and you might've already felt this before you went on your trip, is that the definition of social validity comes from the individual that is receiving or seeking or looking for the care or the empowerment or the skill development. They determine social validity of what's important to them and our treatment should be there to support and empower. And I think that that's such a wonderful thing to walk away with. And if we can start to be able to push that into our treatment programming, into our discussions, into community-informed practice, where the community that's informing us are the recipients of care, I think that's a wonderful, um, just a wonderful experience to have brought back to us. Um, So, When we're talking about neurodiversity and this is a this is something that i think should be highlighted as well is every culture has a different view of that experience um is that when you talk about uh, what autism is with one culture and another culture is that they're all going to define it differently they're all going to have different priorities different goals different ideas of what they should be doing as a community what did it look like, generally speaking, in India as far as how they viewed the neurodiverse population?
1: Um, so we really worked a lot with um, people that are already working and advocating for the neurodiverse population. So I think in that way, I mostly just got their point of view, which was obviously very supportive and um so I, I I think the only the only interactions I really had with um with people who aren't well I was gonna say the parents um are the only the only people that I really got to talk to that um there was a little there was a little more um I should say a little less acceptance of certain things. Um, some parents we had a we actually did like a presentation with parents and um had like a very interactive conversation. and some parents were very um, open and accepting of their their child. and some parents, again, we go back to like the the masking um that we talked about earlier. some parents were, Kind of wanting their their child to just fit in more. That we're a little less accepting of their differences. Um, they have everyone has the best intentions, but I think that um, there it's it's very important to be able to provide and to um, to help out your family and to provide and help out your community. And if you aren't able to provide in the way that you're um, I think, expected to provide in, um, that can create some stigma. And so so I think some families kind of wanted their their child to be um, more neurotypical-like so that they can then go out into the community and kind of provide in the way that maybe their siblings are or their other family members are. Um, so there definitely is some stigma still um in India around um, just the neurodiverse population. I didn't have a lot of interaction with people outside of parents who aren't already working and advocating for the the autistic community.
0: No, I, I mean, even without those conversations, I think that just the ability to realize that, you know these these stigmas present themselves differently across cultures. Is, is something that's eye-opening and not that India doesn't have a whole variety of different cultures within their country, which they do, obviously. But you've now returned to the U.S. There's so much diversity in everybody who you're working with and everybody who's working beside you even. Um, how do you take some of the components of what you learned to really learn from um, And value that cultural impact of understanding who a family is and what their priorities are and how to empower them through the process from going and observing a whole different culture and how they're working to be able to empower neurodiversity
1: yeah so um working with families here is is something that obviously I have some experience with. Every family is different. Some families, again, are more accepting. Some families are kind of going through, like, the the stages of grief, Um, or maybe they have a new diagnosis, or maybe um, their child has um, been receiving services for a while. Um, So, I definitely have the experience with working with a variety of families, and I think that after returning, I feel more comfortable now with being able to have conversations with parents about how to accept their their child's differences and how to accept their child's unique skill sets and how to focus more on their child's um, skills that they have and the the way that they communicate right now and really having just more feeling more comfortable with having those conversations. Um, about how to accept their child, um, just, just their, their uniqueness and, and their differences and, um, how to approach their, their treatment from a way of adding on to the skills they already have, rather than looking at it as these are the deficits and we have to, like, make up or, um, you know, change these certain things about them, but rather just, having those conversations about like, these are the skills they have right now. Let's see how we can use these to continue to build more skills.
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean, that whole strength based concept of teaching is, is very important and being able to really help somebody to be able to access more environments, contribute in the way that they find meaningful. Um, I'd love to give you a platform right now to talk to some of the, some of the BCBAs just in the community and, can look at the perspective of when you're going to meet with a family for the first time meet with an individual who will be receiving your care i i want i want for you just to be able to help inform us on you know how to do that so we're not going in telling people what to do but instead some of the skills that you've learned as far as really understanding i, I how does that work how does that play out what what advice would you be providing to other VCBAs or clinicians in the community to say, you know, this might be another way to do it to get to a better result?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things that I I can touch on here. And I think one is Something that we discuss a lot, just having compassion for everyone, um, whether that's parents, the client, colleagues, um, just have compassion because everyone is experiencing things in a very different way. Everyone's having their own experience day-to-day, second-to-second. We are here on this podcast together, but we might be having very different experiences. So just making sure that you're showing up, first of all, with compassion and understanding and meeting them where they're at. Um, As I mentioned earlier, everyone is at different stages and levels of acceptance. So just try to go in with no judgment and try to go in with compassion. Um, And then, again, I want to, I feel like a broken record, but the do with not for, um, I think applies to working with families and parents as well. Like you want to, you want to, um, work with them to see how they can support their child or how they can create, um, a day-to-day routine that's going to help their child learn how they can be involved in the treatment. So, um, again, just not coming in and implementing implementing goals and teaching the child everything and then as you know like generalization is very important but also teaching the families um and really just listening to them on what's important to them and what they need support with and what um what they would like to to collaborate and work on together rather than coming in as the professional who knows everything and who can just create goals and just implement them. Um, really, again, just doing with, not for, so that's more, again, sustainable um, for the family to support their child and for the child to thrive um, going forward, whether the BCBA is there or not.
0: Yeah, the approach that you're taking, I could see all families benefiting from. And I think there's humility to, as a clinician, to to being able to understand that, you know, I might have in my head what I think is going to be best, and maybe that would be best for me. But realizing that you're, you're working with individuals that have their own priorities, their own goals. You're working with families that have their own way of interpreting different things and perspectives on what's important, what's not, and what they feel they're comfortable with in the implementation process. And I think part of the job of a good clinician is having that flexibility in the thought, flexibility, and practice to be able to say, how can we achieve these goals together that you're establishing, and what resources can I bring to the table to empower everyone through that process? Um, I There is one part to this, is that there are probably so many other people who, went, who are currently in the process of putting their foot in the water of I want to try this and then taking their foot out and like you did as it took a year later to get back to it. What would you be telling them about your experience that might say, hey, you know what? Jump in two feet, go swimming right off the bat. This is worth it. I I want you just to kind of give that that feeling because you came back with a huge smile on your face, still have it from the experience that you had. And I could see this being something that's going to influence your clinical skills for the next 30, 40 years. What what should you what what should they be thinking through this process?
1: Um, I think definitely take a moment if you are having some um, reservations or concerns, take a moment to really dive into that and determine what really is holding you back. If it's something that you can work through and overcome do it because you will have this experience that i i strongly believe will be um, very beneficial to you if not professionally personally if not personally professionally like either way i feel like you are going to get something out of this experience so just ask yourself you know the all the questions you need like what am i going to gain from this what do i have to lose from doing this um what impact can I have by doing this? What impact will I not have by not doing this? You know, just really, um, be open to the experience, um, be willing to, um, go with things as they change because, uh, things get planned and then things get changed and the unexpected happens and things come up. And, um, overall, I think that is kind of how the field of ABA is as well. So, um, you know, that at least in, in itself will continue to help you be flexible um but just i would say go for it if you're you're thinking about it but you're not sure i would say just go for it um though the whole experience is great um india was a, a beautiful great place to visit although the global autism project works in many other countries as well um But I I strongly believe that you will have a great time. I strongly believe that you will come back with a bigger network of people that you can now um, uh, learn from and look to and um, just so much more knowledge that you can you can um, use in your day to day.
0: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for your time today as well, Angelica. I hope to learn from you going forward as well and be able to incorporate that into into my practice. But uh, we appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you so much. I was so happy to share everything.
0: Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.